Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That. We're here for episode two, and today we're talking about introducing EMDR to clients. And we're going to talk about how to introduce it to different kinds of clients and also how to be a good advocate for understanding EMDR in your community. Um, So the first thing that we want to talk about, Jen, is uh, the goal that we have in mind when we're explaining this to people. Um, And so can you just talk for a minute about when you're when you're talking to clients about what is EMDR and trying to help them uh, feel comfortable with it? Um, what do you have in mind as you're doing that? You know, there's a lot of considerations we want to keep in mind. And the biggest one that comes up for me is who are we speaking to? What's mm-hmm. the population? Um, what's their age? Their um, level of education? Is it a client? Is it a community member? Um but gearing and kind of tailoring our presentation of what EMDR is to that population. So it speaks to them directly. It speaks to what they need to know and how much. We don't want to flood them um, with a bunch of information that they just end up blocking out or get overwhelmed by. But we also want to provide enough that it answers their questions and that they feel comfortable with what they're about to start. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, when we're first starting out as EMDR therapists, that feeling of, do I know how to explain this is, at least it was for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's one of the most challenging and daunting things that we first have to get comfortable with. Um, and one of the best recommendations that I've heard is practice explaining EMDR to anybody that will listen to you, yes. right? To family members, to friends, um, to other professionals as you're interacting with them to really try to get comfortable with the nuances of explaining EMDR and the common questions that we encounter. Um, questions like, is this the same thing as hypnosis, um, which is a really common one. And so just getting comfortable with how am I going to respond to those things? And I like what you said about we have to keep in mind who we're talking to, because if we're talking to the parent of a child who's about to go through EMTR, that's a totally different conversation than if I'm talking to a psychiatrist that might be referring clients or a probation officer that has uh, people going through it. And so really making sure that we have several different methods um, and levels of explanation so that we're matching whatever that need is. And that requires quite a bit of practice and quite a bit of, um, I don't know, kind of cultivating a, a library of analogies that we can use and things like that. And I think when we talk about explaining EMDR in a session, you know, we in basic training, you get kind of a script to follow mm-hmm. or a lot of resources, and that's wonderful. But oftentimes we have to explain it when someone says, what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. And you mention, you know, I'm a trauma therapist, or you mention an EMDR therapist. Well, what is that? Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Or like you mentioned, community members, psychiatrists, mm-hmm. referral sources. Insurance uh, companies. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we need to have a really strong understanding of it ourselves. Um, what is it that we're doing? How does it work? Um, the understanding of the AIP model, the yes. adaptive information processing model. 
to be able to share that and to feel confident in our understanding of it, to adapt it to the person that we're explaining mm-hmm. it to, mm-hmm. sharing it with a child, um, having age-appropriate language that still explains the same thing, but in a way that they understand it. That's right. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things we want to do is share with you some quotes from people's initial impressions of EMDR. Um, because I think that the common theme that I run into is there's initially quite a bit of maybe disbelief, confusion, um, a reaction of, oh my gosh, this sounds really weird. And so I want to just read some quotes to you guys, uh, both from other EMDR therapists and also some clients that uh, reacted after they'd been uh, introduced to EMDR for the first time. So this is from a certified EMDR therapist talking about the first time that she was introduced to it. So the very first time I heard of EMDR, it was when another therapist turned her light bar on and she demonstrated it a little bit. I remember thinking, wow, this woman is really nutty. To think that this woo-woo thing is for real, no way. I was extremely skeptical to say the least. However, I liked her, so I hung in there, even though I thought the whole thing was total malarkey. I thought maybe it was just a phase. Ha, look at me now. And uh, yeah, she is currently a a certified EMDR therapist and practices it daily. So (laughs) yes, I have a quote also from a therapist um, who's an EMDR therapist as well. And she says, my first impression of EMDR occurred during a guest presentation in graduate school. I thought it was a strange premise, but the concept instantly piqued my interest. It took a while to fully understand the process, but once I did, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from clients, because they have a very different reaction when they're first introduced. So uh, this is from a, a current EMDR client. When I was first told about EMDR, I was very skeptical. It sounded like something someone made up, and I couldn't imagine it having any real help to provide. However, I was intrigued with the idea of something that could provide relief in a short period of time for a trauma I'd been working through for years. And there were some aspects that did make sense to me. After I worked through my first trauma with EMDR, I was a full believer. It just seemed to cut through all of the layers of protection that I had built up over the years and allow me to see things from a fresh and more healthy perspective. It was hard work, but so worth it. Another client quote was, My first impression of EMDR was that it did not seem invasive or scary. It seemed like a structured but flexible treatment that could actually help me. I love that explanation Uh there, just knowing that that, that therapist did a great job at um, making the client feel safe in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel overwhelming, and it doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. A lot of times there is so much information, and this approach can be so unique that we think it's it's going to be overwhelming or we present it in a way that's just too much. But mm-hmm. we can adapt that presentation to the, what the client needs where they feel safe in it, and it's not right. too much for them to process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that one of the, the elements of our explanation that's important to remember to include is the idea of how it is so different from other kinds of trauma therapy. Um, And the main point of that is that they don't have to talk in detail about what they have experienced, right? That's kind of one of the the big fundamental differences besides the bilateral stimulation is that it is not necessary to go into detail about it. And if we share that with clients, the vast majority of the time, there's huge relief, right? And that's the thing that increases their comfort, increases engagement, um, and helps them be excited about the process um, where they wouldn't have been before. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed those quotes. I found uh, them to be pretty fun 
especially the one about malarkey, because that was very similar <laughs> to my own response. <laughs> well, and I think it's so important for us to connect back to our experience, mm-hmm. whether it was as a client um, with EMDR therapy, mm-hmm. or even as the therapist going through the training where we were the client in the practicum piece. Yes. But really connecting with that and what that felt like for us what our experience was in trying to be sensitive to what our clients are experiencing when they first come into therapy, when this is brought up as an, as a possibility Mm -hmm. um, and just being sensitive to those feelings that may come up for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one question that I think is important, Jen, is when, when do you introduce EMDR to clients? So in the, in the process of intake, in the process of building rapport, when do you usually bring it up initially? That's a great, great question. It depends so much on the client. Mm -hmm. Um, If they are referred to me for EMDR therapy or they're aware, um, a lot of times I receive my referrals because I am an EMDR therapist. Mm -hmm. And so they say, hey, I want to come do this EMDR thing. Mm -hmm. Or I've heard about it and I want to understand it. That's kind of a more an easy directive approach. Like we come in and we immediately begin talking about it with clients who are just referred to to me because they're struggling with a a presenting problem. um, And this is an approach that I know is going to be helpful to them. I take a a less directive approach with it, but it is pretty early on. So Mm -hmm. we, we do our normal intake process. We develop some rapport. I get to know them. And then as I'm hearing about what they're struggling with, um, what their goals are, I will start to just tell them, hey, as I hear all of this, I'm kind of going through my mind, what's going to be the best way to get you to where you want to be? Mm -hmm. What's going to be our best tools to help you find healing from, you know, your pain? And so all through that, I'll start to bring up, you know, there's a lot of approaches, a lot of options, but as a therapist, here's what I want to present to you that I think would be the most helpful. Mm -hmm. And so we start talking about it there. And I, I, present it as a very gradual approach. It's not that we just jump right in, um, but we start we start even talking about the understanding of the way the brain works and how we process trauma. What is trauma? How have their life experiences in the past started contributing to mm-hmm. their presenting struggles? So having them understand that piece, and then what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into talking about resourcing, reprocessing, um, bilateral stimulation, all of those big words mm-hmm. that would be overwhelming, but we kind of gradually move into that understanding. Yeah, that's such a good point that making sure that in our explanation that we include um, what trauma actually is, because most people still uh, clients still have a an impression that trauma is what happens to veterans trauma is what happens to sexual assault victims. Um, But because of, you know, the the theory behind EMDR, that definition is so broadened. Um, and so making sure that whenever we are using an analogy and introducing EMDR, that we include a broadened understanding of what trauma is and what it actually can be. Um, one of the resources that I really like for that piece of the explanation um, is the TED Talk about the ACEs study. The ACEs study was the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And um, there's a, a doctor that goes into a wonderful explanation about the impact of these adverse experiences. 
And so I have kind of adopted that language and use it as an explanation for what is trauma. Trauma can be any adverse experience, and that really, really broadens it. So something as simple as a bullying incident in childhood um, has the same kind of effect um, depending on the other circumstances as the the big traumas that we're used to hearing about. And so I actually, you know, will direct clients to go and watch that TED Talk because um, it's always nice when you can have them hear it from another expert <laughs> rather than just yourself. So it kind of lends uh, a lot of legitimacy um, to what we're helping them understand. So mm-hmm. That idea of bringing in other resources, um, and you mentioned earlier some analogies yes. to help explain the process, I found really helps our clients connect with it. Um, oftentimes, by the time they're sitting in your office for an intake or the first few sessions, they're pretty anxious about being there, mm-hmm. about talking about their trauma. Um, and as soft as we may approach it, it can still be overwhelming and a lot to digest. And so providing them with analogies that kind of help them put understanding to it, something they're familiar with, to something mm-hmm. that they're very unfamiliar with, um, or giving them resources that they can study outside of the session. That's right. As, mm-hmm. as they become more curious about it or feel like they need more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we're when we're picking our analogies, going back to that idea of matching your analogy to your client or to the person is important. And so, um, you know, one of my favorites is talking about the brain as a computer and, uh, you know, all of the tabs that you can have open in a browser um, and helping them kind of think of their brain as, uh, you know, the neural networks or the, the circuitry of the computer. And sometimes something happens that uh, creates a bug in the system. And the whole, um, you know, workings of the computer are impacted by that bug and trauma is that right. So it may happen only in one area, but it can have a huge impact on the whole system. And that's why we see symptoms bubbling up and causing issues um, in places in our life that maybe seems unrelated or seems like it doesn't connect. But because our brain operates that way, it has a very, um, you know, connected uh, way of looking at information, just like a computer does, um, that impact can have far reaching effects. And the treatment for that is debugging, right? We have to go back to that place where that initial injury was caused and rewire it, reroute that that information so that it is now functioning smoothly. And, uh, and a lot of people really connect with that where, you know, practically synonymous with computers nowadays. So especially if we're talking to people that um, have the kind of mindset where technology connects with them, that's a really good one to use. When I often use with not just kids, but it comes up with kids, teens, some adults, um, I'll talk about the symptoms that they're struggling with now are like weeds in their life. And so as we look at the weed, we can either, you know, just cut off the leaves of that weed and then it sprouts back up and it comes back later. Um, But to really take care of and get rid of that, we have to find the root system Mm -hmm. and we have to trace back, not just one of the roots, but really find the deepest roots and trace back into that. And those are those earlier life experiences, um, when those seeds were originally planted and then they kind of grew and manifested into be bigger and bigger problems. And as we trace back, we're going to start in and finding those earlier root systems and plucking those out so that we're not just dealing with the symptoms to where they come back a week later, a year later, five years later, but we're taking care of the entire um, plant system, the weed um, and removing it so that it doesn't sprout again. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, kind of getting to that same core truth of what EMDR is doing, but from a totally different perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another one that I use, I think, almost with everybody, regardless of what analogy um, I choose to introduce it, I almost always talk about um, REM cycle sleep because that is one of the ways that we create a lot of comfort and ease about uh, bilateral stimulation. Because when people hear about bilateral stimulation for the first time, that's the part where they kind of raise their eyebrows and go, you're going to do what? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you're going to wave your fingers in front of my face and what? Um, and so using that concept of if you've ever watched somebody sleep, if you've ever watched your baby sleep and you, you see their eyes moving back and forth, we are basically reversing that process and doing it while you're awake. So this is something that your brain does every night, naturally, on its own. We are not imposing something foreign or weird on your brain. We're actually using a process that it does every single day, right? This is the way that our brain heals from trauma on its own. If everything goes well and we're able to overcome the adverse experiences, this is how our brain does it. Okay, we go to sleep, um, things happen in our brain, and the, the result on the outside is that we see our eyes moving back and forth in this pattern. So bilateral stimulation is just replicating that exact same process. And I hear I hear clients uh, regurgitate that a lot. They'll, they'll reference that because there's something about that that says, oh, this is a normal thing. Right, right? kind this of demystifies it. Yes, yeah, it makes it much less... Um, I don't know, scary, right? And that's the point where I usually get that question about hypnosis. And uh, one of the one of the things we have to be careful of is, um, you know, not making claims about what hypnosis is or isn't. But I kind of redirect back to that idea that with bilateral stimulation, we are simply replicating that natural process that happens in REM cycle sleep. Um, and hypnosis is doing something slightly different, uh, well, or very different. Um, and so, you know, kind of putting their fears to ease, because usually what people mean by that is, am I going to lose control? That's kind of right. the underlying question there. That, that's scary. That's a scary feeling. Yes, it is, especially if we're tackling trauma material. Correct. And the idea that I would be out of control in that moment is really hard. Um, yeah. Any other uh, analogies that you go to? What do you use with kids a lot? I use the same weed root system with kids. Um, a lot of times we do more visual. So rather than just talking about it, something that's more interactive, whether that be in a sand tray or with Play-Doh or... Um, the dolls kind of playing it out in that way where it's it's hands-on and they're interactive with it and understanding. Mm-hmm. But a- adults enjoy that too sometimes. Yes. It doesn't just have to be with kids. That's true. I've definitely drawn lots of pictures of, you know, malformed brains. I always have to apologize for my lack of artistic ability. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but they get the general idea. Um, the, the other one that I wanted to mention uh, that really connects for some people is the idea of the digestion process, that if we eat good food, the digestion process goes pretty smoothly. If something comes into our system that is toxic to us in some way, our digestion system um, responds to that pretty intensely, right? We might throw up, we might have diarrhea, but something is going to happen to try to get that out of our system. Um, because if we leave that toxic thing in our system, it's going to cause problems. And so with, with EMDR, basically what we're doing is aiding the brain's digestion system. Normally, our brain digests material really, really well. Sometimes something comes along that it just can't quite get out. And so I liken that to, you know, if we swallow a piece of 
of hard material, our body doesn't know what to do with that, right? And sometimes we have to like have surgery to get that out of our system because it can't take care of it on its own. So EMDR comes along and helps the brain um, when it can't quite do it on its own, when something is really stuck in that system. Um, so I like that an- analogy. Uh, I use that a lot for uh, for teens, um, for older kids. I don't work a lot with the really, really little ones, but I think it would work for them too because they swallow hard objects all the time. So Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so those, those are some of our, our favorite analogies and please feel free to, um, put yours in the comments as well, because there are so many and people are so creative about their ways of explaining EMDR. There's really, really great books out there and we'll link some of those, uh, resources in the show notes about, um, books and articles and things like that, that you can use, uh, and give your clients to help with the explanation process. It's nice to have a variety to choose from, kind of a mm-hmm. toolbox to reference to that connects it for that mm-hmm. specific client. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I really suggest for people, especially as you're starting out to build your own confidence, is that you have some resources that feel very professional and legitimate. Um, because that point that I made earlier about wanting to be a good advocate in our community for understanding EMDR, depending on which community we're in, um, EMDR is still a relatively new thing in a lot of ways. And people are, you know, being exposed to this for the very first time. And as EMDR therapists, we may be the first time they ever hear a real explanation of what it is. And so I think it's important that we take that responsibility very seriously. And having good resources helps us feel supported in that process. So um, Andrea puts out some really uh, nice professional looking brochures, and I give those to clients a lot. It has information on the back about their website and other resources that they can look at. But for me, it also just feels really good to be offering them something um, that looks really uh, professional and put together because it legitimizes what I'm sharing with them and helps them feel more comfortable. Um, and I do direct them to Andrea's website quite a bit as well for the same reason, especially if you're talking to a client that you can tell is really interested in the research aspect, right? And wants to actually see the professional research that's been done to feel comfortable, um, direct them to Andrea's website because there's a lot of it there. One thing I want to caution is the more legitimate uh, resources you can provide them, the less likely they are to just Google search it. Mm -hmm. And that can be a scary thing for a client. Um, Not that everything out there is negative, but there's a mix and you don't really know what they're getting Mm -hmm. if they're doing their own search on it. And if, if they're going to, because some clients just are kind of talking to them about um, good resources to look for or things that they're, they may find out there. So providing them those pamphlets or direction of where to do their reading and research can be very helpful mm-hmm. so that they're not getting a random YouTube video clip that That's right. actually is an EMDR mm-hmm. um, and shows them something different. Mm-hmm. That's true. Which brings up uh, another aspect of this, Jen. I have encountered this quite a bit, and I think as EMDR is growing more and more, we're likely to encounter this where a client has experienced um, something that was called EMDR. But as you talk to the client, you realize that what they experienced was not actually um, the true EMDR protocol. And there's a little bit of undoing and relearning that has to occur. Um, and so if somebody comes in and says, oh, yeah, I've had EMDR before, I know exactly what it is. Um, I've learned to not assume that we're talking about the same thing. 
And so I'll ask them uh, questions about what their experience was. You know, did you use eye movements? Did you use a machine? Um, and trying to gauge, did they really experience the basic protocol? And was, was it a, a good experience for them? Because um, I have had some people come in and I, you know, open up the idea of EMDR and they immediately say, no, they're not interested in it. And oftentimes, uh, I have figured out that that is because their experience of it was not the true protocol, right? It was somebody was using some bilateral stimulation, but it was not uh, a part of the protocol the way that it's been researched. Um, and that can be challenging when you're trying to introduce it to somebody that has some preconceived notions. So um, if somebody comes in and they say, oh, yeah, I know all about it, still ask some questions and make sure that you're talking about the same thing before you proceed. You know, as you bring that up, I just spoke on a consultation group today about that specifically. Mm-hmm. It's so common to get a client that comes in saying they've done that. A lot of times they're either one end of the spectrum of I don't want to do it again. It was a it was a negative experience mm-hmm. or let's jump right in and keep going. Here's mm-hmm. the targets. Um, and even some of it may be they may have done actual reprocessing, but to be patient in the process and slow them down, go back to standard protocol of let's let's discover what's your container, what's mm-hmm. your calm, comfortable place, what resources do you have in place? Because in um, an example that was shared with me on that call was she had done a lot of targets and had done reprocessing, but um, she didn't have the calm, comfortable place that she felt like she could use outside of session. Mm. Or um, there just may be little gaps that a different therapist has a different approach or has maybe missed some pieces. And so you have to fill in those spaces and knowing that as we go in and we're sharing with them what EMDR is, we're also, like you said, kind of discovering what is their perception of what it is Mm -hmm. if they've done it before and how do we fill in any missing pieces that there might be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so um, one last thing that we wanted to do is uh, Jenna's created a just a real short clip about a minute and 20 seconds um, of a recording that she gives to clients to help with the explanation process. And this is something that I really recommend if you have a website or if you email information to clients before sessions to actually consider you recording an explanation so that it's your voice and they are, you know, associating this with you Um just a, a real quick, uh, you know, you can use an analogy that's your favorite. Um, Jen's version really focuses on a an explanation of what AIP is in a really simple manner. So I want you guys to hear this so that you can consider making a clip like this to email to clients, to put on your website, um, just as a way of introducing this in a really simple way. Our brains take in a lot of information every day. In an ordinary circumstance, an experience like going to the grocery store is filtered through our brain. The memory is processed and stored away. I like to imagine it in a nice little file or on a shelf. The material that is stored may drift away into inactive memory, or it may be able to be recalled again in the future. If that ordinary experience becomes an exceptionally challenging or confusing experience, like a tornado hitting the grocery store while you are shopping, it filters through your brain attached with an image, belief, emotion, and body sensation. That memory becomes stuck or lodged in our brain and is incapable of adaptively processing and storing. It begins to filter into our mood, thoughts, behaviors, and so forth. 
Through EMDR reprocessing, we will access that disturbing memory by identifying an image, belief, emotion, and body sensation associated with it. Once we have accessed it, we will support your brain in completing the processing of that experience until it can then be stored away in its appropriate and adaptive place. Yeah, so that's just a really uh, brief explanation, and I think it's a great idea um, to have things like that to just aid in the uh, the ease and comfort as we're explaining this to people. Um, and before we end, we want to mention that we're also going to be doing a live demonstration of explaining this to a client. Um, Jen and I are going to do that. And so you will find that um, as a different mini episode right after this one. So I encourage you to have a listen to that, to hear what that sounds like in real time. And it will include the, the client's natural questions that come up as they're considering do this, doing this for their own treatment. Um, and so we're going to have that uh, right after this. So any other thoughts, Jen, before we're done? No, just to real briefly um, expand on that recording, I think it's great for us to create kind of a library of different resources that our clients can listen to outside of session, whether it's walking through Calm Safe Place, Container, the explanation. Um, our clients connect with us and our voices. Right. And so if you can make those personalized and have those, I recorded that on an app on my phone, very <laughs> informal. It was mm-hmm. nothing fancy. And so to be able to provide that on your website or a link to clients, I think it can be very helpful for them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening today. And we hope that something you've heard today is going to help you help your clients because that's our goal here at notice that. And we will see you next time for episode three, where we're talking about training and integrating EMDR into your practice. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to notice that an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.